0: Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions, and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories, and to feel encouraged connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption
1: and then we talk about finding the equilibrium between like the three-way relationship between the the community which is everything from the environment through to the kid that's coming into the shop to buy the t-shirt to the artist to the staff member they're all in unison and I feel like I'm doing my bit for the world
0: hey it's Adam Murray here this week I'm changing up the intro a little bit to the podcast and seeing if I can do it a bit more off the cuff. My guest for this week is a guy called Jaden Comerford and he is the founder of the Unified Music Group, which are uh, based in Melbourne in uh, the suburb of Richmond. Yeah, I was reflecting on my conversation with Jadon and I think I actually mentioned this in the conversation as well, but there's a, there's a real air of humility and egolessness about him. And I think, for me, that's one of the qualities that stood out throughout the guests that I've interviewed over the course of the past couple of years, that there is this quality about them that people are doing pretty amazing things and having a positive impact, but doing their absolute best. And they're doing it in a way that, I don't know, there's no showing off about it, no kind of big noting. And for me, that's one of the key elements, I think, of being a subtle disruptor of subtle disruption in my mind is this, I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm doing my best and anyone can be doing this and it's there's no need to actually show off about it or make a, a massive scene about it. And that's one of the reasons why I want to talk to those people because you know, partly they are a bit self-effacing and uh, it's a good way to get their story out, but I think there's also a deep encouragement in that and that an empowerment in that and that we can all make small changes, we can all have a positive influence. Um, it's within our power and um, there's no need to, as we're doing that, there's no need to make ourselves bigger and therefore diminish others. In doing that kind of work, we can actually lift everybody up and encourage other people to do it as well. I think what's surprising about Jaden is that in the industry that he is in, in the music industry, I think that must be one of the hardest industries to be egoless and humble within, uh, whether it's as a performer, as a, a manager, or creating a record label, or whatever aspect it is, there is a there is an element of self promotion and um, wanting to. I guess there's a lot of adulation and adoration that comes with that industry. I think Jaden seems to have brought a real humility to the work he does, and um, I think it as you'll see in our conversation, I think that that comes through really clearly. I mean I think it permeates the work that he does the organization that he's helped create the artists that he helps manage and promote as well. He does talk about in the conversation one particular moment where that really changed for him where he perhaps was starting to believe a bit of his own hype and there was a significant significant incident which uh, which is I guess imprinted in him and caused him to reflect on his role and the, um, the way he can best go about that. But I'll leave, I'll leave that story to the conversation. So um, yeah, I guess without too much further ado, it's great to have you listening today to this episode. And yeah, enjoy the conversation with Jadon, who is subtly disrupting the music industry. Thank you. Yeah, Jadon, great to have met you this morning and to be sitting here. Do you mind explaining where we are actually sitting and why we're sitting here
1: yeah for sure we're uh, sitting in a an empty boardroom in on Wangaratta street in Richmond we've been in this office for almost 10 years now and on Friday which is two days from today we'll be moving to a brand new office just about 10 doors down the street yeah I thought it was kind of fitting to be able to spend our last moment in this place talking about you know where we've been and where we're going yeah
0: how long did you say you've been here
1: I, sh- I wanted to check before we came in, but I didn't get a moment, but it's got to be close to 10 years, to be honest with you. Yeah, okay. It's a long time.
0: And Before we started recording, you were saying this is the second, already the second office you've been yeah. in on Wangaratta Street. so right?
1: we're on 17 Wangaratta now. We used to be 32. Yeah. We're about to become 51,
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah.
0: Has Richmond changed much in that time?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's definitely become more, you know, like most of inner-city Melbourne, it's gentrifying more. Which the positive of that is generally the food gets better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great place on Swan Street called Feast of Merit, which yeah, is owned by one the Gap guys, and it's like, oh man, when I'm here, I eat, like try to eat two, or three meals a day there. But yeah, back when we first started, it was chicken and chips and you know yeah. pad Thai
0: and uh, yeah. and you know ten dollar palmas for lunch kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to live around here as well in East Melbourne. so and more recently. So interestingly, you've mentioned the Corner Hotel before is on the corners of Wangaratta Street and Stuart Street, is Correct, it? Yeah. yeah, just near Swan Street. One of the, I guess, musical, spiritual homes yeah. in Melbourne. Is that one of the reasons why... We haven't really talked about what you do, but is that one of the reasons why you chose this area? Well, I,
1: used to, I grew up in Heidelberg and went to school in Turak. Yeah. Uh, so that meant catching a train into the city every morning and then out to Turak via Richmond. Yeah. And so every morning from the age of about ten I would go past the Corner Hotel. And I was obsessed with music from that age. So I used to be able to see this like this sort of like shrine that I always admired. And then I used to obsess over Beat magazine and Impress magazine and look at all the geek guides. And from the age of like twelve I was asking Mum to take me to go and see like the Melvins and the Misfits and all these like crazy punk bands that like yeah, I don't even know how I got into it. Yeah. But yeah, to then turn eighteen or, you know, sixteen and start going there. And, you know, then to actually start putting on shows there and, you know, sort of it become almost like a, well, it's become a local, you know, I think next month in August, I think we've got something like 10 of 30 nights booked for a harvest of ours. Yeah. So, yeah, we we love that place. And right now we're about to move literally next door to it. Yeah. So, yeah, some staff have asked if we're putting a flying fox in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's an awesome venue. I've been there a few times myself. I guess we've got a few people that wouldn't really know the Corner Hotel that well. Did you, you said you're putting out a few shows there, that's as this business. Did you ever, are you a musician yourself? Uh, no. No. No, so I never performed there. No, did you, you, got a, you had an interest in music, but did you play instruments? Yeah, I played up music
1: well? at school. I started, first mum got us all playing piano when we were quite young and then from about grade five I was on the clarinet yeah. and then when I was about 13- that's when grunge and punk invaded my world and I got a you know, a fake Fender Stratocaster and started playing Nirvana <laughs> and Green Day and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So after that the clarinet wasn't exactly the coolest thing. <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> so I'm coming in and swapping a little bit here, but let's swap back to what is the business that actually runs out of this place?
1: Yeah, sure. So the company's called Unified and we're a music company. We operate across the whole spectrum of the industry. What, what we say is we organise the business into four pillars, which are four distinct business functions. So we have artist management, which is managing artists, musicians, bands, songwriters, producers. Recorded music, which is record labels. We run four distinct brands, which release music under, varying from metal to club music to hip-hop, everything in between. We then have a merchandise company, which is responsible for not just manufacturing merchandise, but direct-to-consumer e-commerce solutions, which is a big future for, for every part of the world, really. And then the fourth is touring and events, so mm-hmm. putting on festivals and touring artists. Yeah. So we do all that stuff. We've got the main offices here in Melbourne on Langerada Street. Yeah. Then there's a small office in Sydney. There's a small office in London. And then there's an office in LA, which is where I'm based. Okay. And all up, there's
0: 35 people. Yeah. yeah. So you spend most of your time in LA. I
1: was saying to someone yesterday, I spent a... Third of my time in LA, third of my time in Melbourne, and a third of my time in hotels (laughs) (laughs) or Airbnbs. But yeah, we're lucky enough to have a place both in LA and in Melbourne.
0: Yeah. So how did you go from clarinet to grunge to starting a record label?
1: Yeah, so I was obsessed with punk rock. And my brother, one Christmas, got me a copy of the Offspring album, Smash. It was released in 1994, and it until Adele was the highest selling independent album of all time and it came out on a label called Epitaph Records which is based in Silver Lake in Los Angeles and they were just a my first connection to music uh, that i really liked you know beyond like Mickey's Christmas carols and the Sister Act soundtrack and you know stuff like that yeah. that you listened to as a kid but on the back was their logo and i saw the logo Epitaph and just it just really connected with me and and from there i started to buy artist signed to that label just because of the yeah, label wow so I just used to spend so much money on CDs and I just buy whatever I could get and I you know I don't know what age it was exactly that I decided but I always wanted to work in the music industry and from I finished high school went and started a business degree at Victoria University in Footscray and at the same time I started a business
0: yeah okay yeah. while you're at university correct yeah, so yeah
1: so i ran that through university and then came out the other side with a job basically yeah
0: um, you
1: know barely a job but at least something to do and a you know remnants of a, a revenue stream it would which would allow me to at least live while still living at home
0: yeah what was the first step or what was the first part of or incarnation of the business what did you do it was a record label yeah.
1: so it was called boomtown records and i signed a band from melbourne called wishful thinking they were a pop punk band and they needed someone to put out their record I was enough I would convince them that I was a real record label <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
0: <laughs> did that take a bit of convincing or was
1: <laughs> uh I guess so yeah but yeah. it was like we had a logo we had a name we had a distribution deal we were willing to pay to press CDs we were we were real
0: yeah and
1: i think i had 400 bucks you know which i'd saved from like a summer job yeah. and that was how how it all started and we we sold CDs at gigs so Managed to um, find a distributor in Japan, which was really interested in this style of music. So I was shipping boxes of CDs over to Japan, and then they were sending me back checks. And so yeah, it was a it was a really interesting time because it was two thousand and one when it all started. Two thousand and five was when iTunes launched in Australia. So you can only imagine what the music business looked like in two thousand and one. Yeah. With Napster and CD burning and all that sort of stuff. Like the the recorded music industry globally like fell off a cliff. I think it went from 14 billion to like 2 billion within a matter of years. Yeah. yeah, but I had no idea because I was still buying, you know, punk records, and I was still going to shows, and I was buying merch, and the world around me just seemed so exciting. I was at the corner hotel every, you know, every other night watching bands. So for me, I was just like, well, I got to get into this, and I got to be a part of this. It never seemed like it was like it was tough. Yeah, and it took me years to even interface with like someone from a major record company or from a bigger wider industry so took me years for anyone to even give me an insight that there maybe was something wrong with our industry
0: yeah i want to ask you a couple of different questions i know i'm chopping and changing a bit today but mine's going in a lot of different directions what was it about music in particular that that made you think yeah i want to do this as a career and you know meant that you were down at the corner every second night
1: i was just so into it like i remember my best friend jimmy still best friends to this day, he lives in Melbourne. I remember like, we well, are probably about 12, maybe 13 on the train arguing about who discovered Blink-182 first. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess I was just around a crew of people that just loved music, yeah. you know. And I guess if you add to that, the house we grew up in, our next door neighbour uh, was a guy called David Hirschfelder, who's a very famous Australian uh, film composer. Okay. He's constantly making music for film and television, but he's done, like back when we were when we were living next to him, he did strictly bore him. But he's done Australia, he's done a lot of really big classic Australian films uh, and international as well. So from a young age there was this guy that lived across the over the fence that had you know had a family just like we did. And he was a musician. And I was just like, wow, isn't that cool that there's someone that like like my dad's a plumber, mum's a nurse, dad was a musician and they were living this normal life. And then eventually I met his manager. And I was just like, "Whoa! There's like another whole another dimension to this. Like, there's this, I guess, this career that I could potentially pursue with my passion, which uh, wasn't performing. It was trying to, yeah, build a build a career, not knowing where it was going to end up, but just knowing that there was a possibility that I might be able to do this for a living."
0: Yeah. For me, that seems quite unusual for someone that age to think, I'm just going to have a go at this. There's no clear, maybe it was just the people that I was hanging around with when I was young as well, but maybe it was just my thinking that I needed a clear career progression. Like I needed something, because I think around that time, I was quite influenced by some of the recessions that had happened recently and a bit of a fear about jobs and, and that kind of stuff. and. You you didn't seem to have those thoughts going around in your head.
1: No, there was a lot of naivety. And I guess we grew up in a household where there was a lot of support as well and a lot of love. We were, we had everything we needed, but we weren't like, you know, crazy rich, you know. We went to Fiji when we were like kids and that was like the greatest thing ever. But mum and dad were just always very supportive of whatever we wanted to do. Two brothers, one older, one younger. And we all just kind of did what we wanted to do. And we've all been, I think, successful in, in that. But we've... I think we had that support um, knowing that you could sort of do whatever you wanted to do. Mm. But for me, yeah, the, the naivety around the entry into the industry was everything because I just didn't know yeah. what I was getting myself into. You know, occasionally like I remember one night, like Mum and dad were having some kind of maybe my brother's football team end of year, you know, dinner kind of thing. All the parents came over and someone's dad was like, what do you doing? work in the music industry? Like, the music industry's over, you know what I mean? And I'm like 22 or 21, I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, we're, we saw it out of the corner last week. And we're killing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was, I think that was one of my biggest gifts, having yeah. that naivety.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. Because without that, I don't know, naivety is almost the wrong, it, I guess it is the right word, but it's kind of the necessary th- trait. Yeah. Because other, the alternative is... To hear all that noise and believe it, yeah. in a way, and not do well, anything.
1: And because, to be honest with you, it wasn't easy. You know, there were moments early on. We got our our wins early on. But then, there, yeah, there was a harsh reality that it was really hard to sell music. Once we, like, moved into the office at 32 Wangarata and hired people, and it wasn't just me sort of living off my, you know, check that I got every quarter from the amount of CDs we'd sold at JB Hi-Fi. Yeah. It was like, okay... This is this is pretty serious, and so there were moments where, you know, like any business owner, you know, we you know, went out of business and ran out of cash, and you know, paid all the all the bills and had a dollar left in the bank account, or you know, negative yeah. dollar, you know. Yeah. So yeah, don't get me wrong, it hasn't been easy.
0: Yeah. And particularly did around that time, from say two thousand and one to two thousand and five, when things dramatically changed in the industry, how how did you survive through that period?
1: Um, well, I think that we were lucky because as I said, you know, I, I spelled out our four business functions early on. We started as a record label. We were putting out niche music, which was punk rock in a niche market, which is, which was Australia. So we had these bands that were just like, oh, you're our record label, but we need a manager now. And, um, and there was no one that was really specializing in that genre, you know? So we we're like, oh, we'll do it. Or I was, I'll do it. You know, I'll be your manager. Sure. So that meant, in my mind, it meant going to rehearsals and going on tour and printing T-shirts. And that then led to doing merchandise, you know. And then it led to putting on events and touring. And so we sort of grew once again with naivety, this sort of necessary structure in order to fill the demand which was coming
0: to us. Yeah. Can I ask you, what does a manager actually do? Were you right in what you...
1: A manager is... We say they're the CEO of the artist's business and then the artist is the, the president and the shareholders. Okay. So you're responsible for running their business. There is someone that should go on tour with them. Me shouldn't be the one doing that. But me when I was 19, yeah, it made sense to be out there and spending time with the band and making sure they were comfortable and making sure we're having conversations about their vision and understanding where they were going. And then also along the on, on, on the road you make all your contacts. You know, I, I spend a lot of time on the road through Europe and the US and Canada and mm. wherever I can get to because that's how you build these relationships, yeah. these these global networks.
0: Yeah. So now you send somebody who works for you on tour with the bands well, that you
1: manage? We have yeah, you know, now like with the size of the company we we manage over twenty artists. Um so and artists from, you know, selling a hundred tickets to selling ten thousand tickets or, you know, and artists that don't leave Australia to artists that you know, spend most of their time overseas. So there's a whole different scale of of uh, of, oper- of, of
0: operations. And mean, for you, was that, the, was that? do you have very, very fond memories of going on to it? Like it sounds oh, quite... yeah.
1: My first ever one was, and this is when it all began sort of getting a bit serious. There was a band that I was working with and they, I was just their record label, but they needed, um, they'd run out of t-shirts and they were in Perth and they needed to ship a bunch of t-shirts over. And so we called TNT or whoever and it was going to cost X amount of dollars to ship it overnight or it was going to, and then I was like, well, or I could fly them over myself because it was going to be cheaper. So I flew over to Perth and that was kind of like the Euro manager now kind of moment. Yeah. And it was great. But I'll never forget the last night of tour. We all like had a big party as you do because you think you're rock stars. And I missed my flight the next morning. Um, and I've never missed a flight since, yeah, from Perth to Melbourne. Yeah, that was a nightmare because I didn't have any money to rebook it. Yeah. So I had to, I told some sort of, made up some story at the airport and they felt sorry for me, but put me on another flight. <laughs> I was probably about to cry.
0: I, had, I think I had, when, when the whole Napster and iTunes things, things were starting to happen, and I guess even now things are probably a little bit different. We can talk a bit about that as well. I used to think that, I used to speculate that for artists, obviously it was quite challenging for them <laughs> around that time, like where are they going to get their revenue th- from? And I always thought that, I always wondered whether that was an inciting incident for them to, I guess, delve more into live performance as well. Is that, did that happen?
1: 100%. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Because, yeah, a lot of artists used to make their money out of selling records, and that's why they made them. Yeah. And you would tour to promote the record, not the other way around. And Because that was the thing that we understood, that we were like, okay, cool, we'll, we'll make a little bit of money selling records, but we're going to make most of the money selling tickets and T-shirts. Yeah. So you put yeah. out music so you can tour and sell T-shirts. But yeah, it was a horrible time, not just for the artists, but also for the songwriters. Yeah. So the songwriters that weren't yeah. the artists, you know, all of a sudden... People's livelihoods just got completely destroyed. Yeah, you know, but that's what happens to industries that don't evolve. You know, look at Uber or Airbnb. You know, yeah. they're disruptors, and, and they deserve to exist because we have to evolve as a as a society. Now we're in a really exciting place where the industry is growing again. I can not know the exact numbers. We're not up to fourteen billion yet, but we're we're climbing back up. And they believe that you know, there's certain analysts that are saying that the industry is going to get back to a point, or it's going to surpass where it was through streaming. Yeah. Right. So, and that is a really exciting thing because now the artists and the industry have, you know, we were touring, we were putting out music to support touring. Now we have the ability to put out music and tour and they're both core business. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I said to someone recently, like someone was saying how things are going to get better. I'm like, oh, wow, well, we've, we've, we've done all this while things were bad. Imagine how good it's going to be, and particularly for the artists because for a very long time there was kind of like this, you know, because I think the Napster thing, and a lot of people had that like, they, f- they thought it was okay because it wasn't affecting the artists, it was affecting the record labels, and it was like screw the man kind of stuff. And then you had artists like Metallica speak out about it and said, this is wrong, you can't do this. And people were like, point their finger at Metallica, like, you guys are greedy because you're the big guys. But there wasn't enough middle-class artists standing up to it, you know, so it was a really yeah, horrible time, but not one that I really I understood until you know, probably a few years ago.
0: Yeah. And so how does the model, the revenue model through things like Spotify and other services like that, I guess iTunes as well, how does yeah. that work for artists and labels now?
1: Sure. So the streaming services, so Apple Music and Spotify, are the two most, the biggest ones in Australia, they pay somewhere between 60 and 70% of their revenue through to the rights holders. So you pay $10 a month to be a Spotify subscriber. Roughly 6 to $7 of that goes through to the rights holders, which is the songwriter and the artist that recorded it. The artist is usually signed to a record company, so that money would go to the record company. And then based off their deal with the artist, the artist would then get paid a royalty of that. So a percentage of that flows through. So when it first started, there was a lot of, fusion around that it wasn't paying artists enough but that's just because it wasn't big enough mm-hmm. but now we're talking about you know 140 plus million subscribers worldwide on streaming we're talking about 10 bucks a month we're talking about billions of dollars going into the pipeline and then eventually making its way to the artists so it's an incredibly positive thing uh for everyone cuz like most subscriptions that you use regularly you don't think about it
0: no you, that's know, right. yeah. you
1: don't think about your city link or your your internet bill at home like because it just keeps going and you need it and like i don't know if you're a spotify user or you know, am, yeah. like it's it's amazing like occasionally you'll find something occasionally you you won't find something you're looking for the 9.999 times out of 10 it's there you know and it's you're paying 10 12 bucks a month you know when i was a kid i used to spend 50 bucks a weekend on cds <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's right. And it opens up opportunities to discover new artists a lot more easily, I think, as well. That's what I different genres of music. They're so. talking
1: about the middle class of the artists emerging. I was meeting with this artist a couple of months ago, or probably a year ago now. And she's from a very remote part of Australia. And uh, we met in Perth. And she had two songs on Spotify at that time, which were both doing very well, like in the millions of, of plays. And But she never performed live. She. That was kind of her business. And I and I said to her, probably quite stupidly, I said, so what do you do for a living? And she just goes, I'm a musician. What do you mean? And I was just like, it was this moment where, and I've retold that story to Spotify people around the world, but it's like, because she doesn't have a record company, she puts that music directly on Spotify herself, and it's done quite well just because people have found it around the world and shared it with friends. It's actually generated her, not a, you know, she's not, living in a mansion in, in, in a Sydney, but she's living a life based off you know creating art, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, there's, and there's a lot of stories like that emerging around the world.
0: Yeah. I guess one of the things that's changed through people going to streaming as their source of consuming music away from like what you were doing, growing up, using CDs, growing up, buying CDs, is that People aren't thinking about music in terms of albums so much. And that whole experience, that tangible experience of buying an album and looking at the artwork and really studying the lyrics has changed as well. Yeah. Do you have thoughts about that?
1: Totally, yeah. It's changed, but it's still there. Like, they, they talk about there's a really high correlation between sp- streaming subscribers, so Spotify, Apple, etc., cetera, and vinyl purchases. Right. The amount of times I go through my vinyl collection and go oh, yeah, I want to listen to Bright Eyes now. i get my phone and put it on Spotify. You really? Know, yeah, <laughs> it's like an advertisement almost sitting there in front of me. And, yeah. and I, I speak to a lot of music lovers that have a similar experience. But so for us, if I can bring it back to our business, one of our core functions is merchandise. So we have a, a company which is very, very focused on what's well, a direct-to-consumer e-commerce web solution. So where you can go onto our site and buy everything from Midnight Oil to Metallica. and Because there's people out there that still want physical goods, whether it's T-shirts or vinyls or CDs or cassettes, believe it or not, we have a whole warehouse down the road full of that stuff, and it's shipping out. And I think that the future of the business is being able to allow the superfans the ability to access this product while also making the, you know, the streaming solution available to the masses. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not going to go away, but it's going to become less and less relevant, I think.
0: I want to talk a little bit about... Your relationship with the bands that you manage as well, How how do you identify someone that you want to bring on?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm the CEO of the company and for each function of the business, there's a general manager that runs the business and then there's an executive team which sort of runs the operations under me. And, you know, I was sort of, there was a long time in the making sort of putting that structure together and for a while there I wasn't actually in a day-to-day sense, working with artists, which was something that I knew was needed for the business to, to grow, but it was also something that was kind of, I wasn't really enjoying too much. And that's when, around that time, was when me and my wife discovered Vance Joy. Oh. Um, are you familiar with him? Yeah. So he was a very, you know, very unknown guy from Melbourne who had incredible music and we were lucky enough to come across his music. And that was a very sort of instinctual moment of just kind of like, okay, like I really get this. And it was kind of like, I wasn't exactly in retirement. I was still working with specific teams, managing artists, but I wasn't like in the trenches. And this was kind of like one of those moments where I was like, all right, like coach, like send me back in. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, okay. I got, I can do this one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of instinct in what you, we do. And Luke, who was one of our main guys here, Luke's been with us from the start, we always talk about how an artist needs a champion. No matter how big or small the artist is, you need to have someone that's going to walk down the main street naked, telling everyone why this artist is the best. Because if they don't have that, then they're not going to win. And we really strive at this company to make sure that everyone has that person. As I said, whether they're selling 100 tickets or 10,000 tickets, everyone needs that, that support because everyone started somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've met some of the biggest managers in the world, the big, some of the biggest artists in the world. and you get that feeling from them as well. You know, they're going to they're gonna do that if they have to.
0: Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Can you tell us, like, what's one of the, the really satisfying stories that you've got about a particular artist that you've brought on board?
1: We work with this amazing artist called Amy Shark. Yeah. Do you know Amy? Yeah.
0: yeah. I was listening this morning, actually. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we were lucky enough to find Amy. It was around October last year. I was in Australia driving my car, listening to Triple J, and her song came on the radio. And I was like, wow, what a great song. But usually, when you hear something on the radio, you, in my job, you don't kind of react to it because you just assume someone's already working with them. And then I heard it again either later that day or the next day. And I was just like, I've got to find out what's, what, what this is. You was know? this a door or was it? Yeah, it was it, a door. Yeah. And kind of embarrassingly, I'd never heard of Amy Shark. And she's been around for a long time trying to basically have success and to build a career and she'd sort of had false start after false start and just never quite found her feet and all of a sudden she writes this song puts it on the internet on triple j on Earth, you know starts to get the attention of everyone and so i kind of dive in and realize that this whole industry chasing after this artist and i'm like god how embarrassing i really should have been across this but i've been busy in new york and you know i've been busy with everything i do and you know Part of me wanted to be mad at some of the team because they didn't pick up on it. But, you know, everyone's, everyone's doing what they're doing and things enter your world when they enter the world. To be able to now work with Amy, uh, you know, we tracked her down and, and we, we, we made a connection and we started working with her. But to see someone that's tried so hard to get here to then, you know, just a few weeks ago, we sold out her first show in New York City. Wow. Um, you know, and just that feeling of seeing someone achieve something like that when maybe at some point they just thought that they were never going to leave their home, yeah. you, know? And, you know, and I've seen that with, with Vance as well, you know, whether it was watching him play to 20,000 people at Glastonbury or watching him play, you know, sold-out arenas in, you know, in Denver, Colorado as a headline artist, you know, from seeing him play open mic gigs on Smith Street in Collingwood to now that, it's just like, it's pretty,
0: pretty moving stuff. Yeah, you
1: know, and more than just a job, something that really gets you out of bed in the morning.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. That's the gratitude that they must experience and feel from that as well. From and like the sense of satisfaction from you know really persisting and struggling for so long at something like that until finally getting those moments. Like that's a incredible oh, journey for them. Totally. Yeah.
1: Like we can't even understand it, you know, what it would feel like. But just to be able to. Be that person or that team that helps them achieve that we talk a lot about careers at Unified and you know we're nothing without our team and you know when someone comes to work here or if an artist comes to work with us like we've got to look at their business as a career because they they're, they're kind of taking a risk whether it's the staff member or the or, or the artist you know yeah. and we take that very very seriously so we work with another incredible band from um, Brisbane called Violent Soho. Do you
0: know uh, them? Heard
1: them back, yeah, so you know their last album was number 1 on the ARIA charts and you know sold out massive shows across the country like Festival Hall in Melbourne and stuff like that. Yeah. Like we recently had a meeting with with them talking about the next 20 years. Yeah. Which might seem crazy, but you know they're in their 30s and they got families and they play rock and roll music which is they're, they're very good at it so they're a big band but it's not exactly the most uh popular music as far as you know if you're looking at pop music or something like that mm. so you know we take that responsibility very seriously to be able to help ensure people are realizing their their vision and their and and aiming for their goals and not just kind of seeing what might happen because we don't have time to just see what might happen
0: yeah as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about football clubs actually and some, maybe some of the similarities there to players and how, you know, I guess there's a few players that earn a lot of money and they have an, an extended career and they can really, you know, build media careers off the back of that as well. But their playing career is actually quite limited. And I think sporting clubs have put a lot of effort into enabling or building the other things outside the players, I guess, like their, their well being and planning for life after football and helping them do training or university, whatever it is. And particularly, like, I think it's, you know, a ridiculous amount of footballers don't even make it past, say, 50 games or, you know, even, even play. And making sure that this thing that they probably sacrifice so much for, they still get... It's, they're not sacrificing the rest of their lives for. Yeah, totally. I guess there's probably some similarities there with artists. Totally. Well, it's
1: hard because yeah, footy play runs on the field to so 50,000 people screaming in the same way. Another band that I'm very proud of that I've been working with for over 10 years is a metal band from Brisbane called The Amity Affliction, four number one albums in a row. Um, only, there only five other artists have ever done that in Australia and it's like In Excess, Powderfinger, and it's like up there with crazy stuff. And these guys go on stage to five, six, seven, thousand people a night. That thrill they get from that, but it's on all of us to ensure that we can keep doing that for as long as possible, because, yeah, it could just stop. You know, you know, those guys have now got clothing lines, and you know the singer just released a book. You know, we're constantly encouraging our artists to think you know, beyond just exactly what, what they're doing right now and actually look at how they can use their influence, which they've created to you know develop more ideas and more opportunities for themselves yeah but you know we're not perfect though you know i'm sure there's artists that don't think that we're you know we might not have given them the attention or they don't feel you know like it's easy to talk about all the positives Um, and i don't necessarily have a negative to talk about but i definitely say we're not perfect but we definitely strive you know to to make sure that everyone's got these opportunities
0: yeah Um, perhaps we switch a little bit and talk a bit more about you as well like I don't know you that well, but you seem like a. for all you've done, you seem like a really humble person. And I'm interested in I guess what what's what as you through this, I guess, in sometimes probably quite heady but quite hectic life yeah. that you live, you know, how travel and hotels yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, I gotta be I wish I was better with dates. I mentioned Boomtown Records, which is the first label we started. We did this tour called the Boomtown Showdown. And we sold out the SB in Kilda, so we sold eight hundred tickets or something like that. And I was like 25 and I thought that I'd made it and we were at the after party and the Amity Affliction, the band that I mentioned, the singer went to the toilet and I leant into one of his friends. I don't know why I said this, but I said to him, I own that guy. And the guy said to me, he said, you know, come again. And I said it again and whack, he just smashed me in the face. And I fell down like a, you know, sack of, bricks sack of potatoes whatever it is it was just like life-changing experience you know like about a year later him and i found ourselves in close proximity he was coming to apologize and i was going to thank him um (laughs) because i was like what am i thinking like you know this is ridiculous yeah but yeah i guess we all have egos but i've always just tried to Be as humble as possible. I talk to our team about, you know, keeping our feet on the ground and not getting carried away by all the things that we get to do because we get to do cool stuff. You know, you fly, flown on private jets, and we've, you know, backstage at the biggest venues in the world and festivals and all this sort of stuff. But it's like you just you're just doing your job. You're just a person. It's challenging though. The travel, particularly, you know, like I'm here until the end of the month. younger brother's 30th birthday party which is gonna be a big raging party the next morning i fly from melbourne to munich i go to zurich i go to london i go to chicago montreal san francisco eventually i find myself back to la pretty quickly back to new york to london back to melbourne for something and so it's it's challenging and there's a lot of late nights a lot of early mornings there's a lot of parties you know i'm not a party animal but i do drink alcohol so that's something you need to be really careful about in this industry i think because it's always around you but yeah i uh probably about eight years ago i was sort of really starting to feel stress and not really understand how i was gonna get through all of this kind of stuff so i was lucky enough to kind of be connected to a friend of mine whose dad was teaching meditation and so i went and saw him and basically learned how to meditate It's not exactly transcendental meditation. It's mantra-based meditation. And that's something that's like basically, it's kind of one of my secret weapons, I think. And since from a young age, my mum took me to do yoga. And that sort of came in and out of my life over the years. But from around probably six years ago, I'd say, it's become like a daily ritual of mine. So between meditating and doing yoga, it just helps you kind of be a bit more aware of, how you're feeling, and how you're thinking, and all that sort of stuff. You know, I'm trying really hard at the moment to not check my phone when I get up, mm. and actually go and do something for myself before I come back. I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. said, "If I don't have, if I if I can't find three hours a morning to pray, how the hell am I going to find time to do everything else in my day?" <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's one of those like, got to think about it for a second statements, but it's like it's so true. Because yeah. if you just get up and go, eventually you're going to fall down. Whereas if you can get up, you know, do something for yourself, do something for your mind, your body, your soul, you can then sort of step out into the world and go, all right, I'm ready to, to take this on. So, yeah. yeah, there are a few things that I guess I, I focus on.
0: Yeah. Do you think those things like, you know, that awareness that yoga and meditation bring to you, they what sort of effect do they have on how you lead and design this business?
1: I was talking earlier with my friend Jai. Who's in New York? He does a lot of great stuff, but one thing in particular he does with his wife is run this incredible yoga school. One time I asked Jai, for, for such a spiritual person, for someone that has so much to give the world, why New York? And after the answer, I realized how stupid my question was because he was like, well, this is where people need this. You know, I'm no good up in the Himalayas meditating. With my legs crossed, what's that going to do for the world? Yeah. And obviously there's many people doing that that are, that are doing great things for the world. But yeah, he sort of connected in that sense of like you, people are so busy and so driven in their careers, particularly in a city like New York City. Taking that time for yourself allows you to then sort of take that little piece that you've been given and then go and share it with the people around you. We, we run a festival every January in, in Gippsland called Unify. 10,000 people at a metal festival and I was talking to the guitarist from one of our bands who came off stage and I said, oh, how'd you go? You know, great show. How did it feel? And he's like, it's like something along the lines of being able to give the audience that opportunity to sort of escape their world is like such an honor to be able to do or something along those lines. And that idea that you can sort of share happiness with the world through the things that you do and putting yourself in a position to be able to do that. So for me, if I can run a company which allows people to feel fulfilled in their employment um, and it allows artists to feel comfortable in their careers and, and then provide the community with great opportunities and great experiences, like that's sort of, sort of the little, the gift that Jai gives me at yoga, uh, that's sort of my passing that on to the world. And then we talk about finding the equilibrium between like the three-way relationship between the, the community, which is everything from the environment through to the kid that's coming into the shop to buy the t-shirt, to the artist, to the staff member. They're all in unison, Then I feel like I'm doing my
0: bit for the world. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of power in that, and... You know, before before we record it as well, we're talking a little bit about small things that everyone can do to have a positive influence on those in their immediate vicinity. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be massive things, but it can be like what you're talking about. Like, I guess, bringing awareness to yourself what then enables you to have an awareness about other people and the effect that you have on them and then that has on the people that they're linked yeah. to as well.
1: That's yeah. That's it, and that's what inspires me. We're not curing cancer, but we're... We're contributing to culture. We're giving people the ability to hopefully be happy, you know, in a society that's so dictated by our careers and our work. If we can give people a chance to do something that makes them happy, then that's, you know, that's what I, I think is my purpose. You know, I think that we're always changing. We're always searching. But I think that's what it is. Um, yeah, we can't do everything. I can't change the world, but I can maybe influence my little part of it
0: yeah. yeah i spoke recently to a guy called michael dixon he's a jazz musician he used to work around the corner from here with inspire nine i don't know if you know inspire nine it's a co-working space uh-huh. where there's a lot of fascinating startups just on the uh are well, you're just around Stuart street actually all right yeah when i do australian wool mill. yeah it's, a, it's an awesome place i think you'd enjoy popping up there and just sticking your head in there it's they're really welcoming and a vibrant place where there's a lot of really cool Australian businesses coming through yes. but yeah, he's since left there and he started his own business where it's about I guess bringing the artists back into the corporate world and starting to bring that bring soul and meaning to the workplace and he calls himself a cultural architect and he helps organization I guess start to tweak their cultures I think is quite a hard thing in a lot of corporations and it's quite an intangible thing as well. But he brings his skills as an artist and a musician in in that way. And we talked a bit about how it's so needed and how, you know, I guess with the rapid change and and who knows what the change will end up being, but in terms of automation and uh, artificial intelligence and these things that may drastically change our lives over the, the next 20 or 30 years, but the role that the artists in the community are going to have in enabling us to process that and find meaning in that and also create an alternate future that's good for us as well. I don't know if you've thought about that kind of thing in the work that you do as well, but it, and you know, I guess I'm, I'm trying to ask you about where you see things going for your business and the artists that you work with totally
1: no i think about that stuff all the time especially living in the us you know we're much more exposed to that over there whether it's you know what companies like tesla are up to or or companies like amazon like you know things are moving at a rapid rate much more rapid than i think we realize you know there's many cities in the world that have autonomous cars driving around and they're safer than normal cars like it's a fact you know but I don't know. It's hard. We still buy vinyl records, you know. Yeah. I, I don't think the world's just going to like overnight, we're going to wake up and pull back the curtains and George Jetson's going to be flying past. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. you know? But, you know, they are flying in Dubai. Cars are flying? Yeah, Dubai or Abu Dhabi. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I'm excited about VR. I think that's going to be really interesting for how we communicate.
0: Yeah.
1: Hopefully it's going to actually limit travel in some senses you know imagine we can have a board meeting via vr yeah you know skype's okay but imagine you could just like actually sit down and have a chat yeah like that would be pretty cool that would be (laughs) but yeah look i don't i don't consider myself some visionary or some genius like i'm not i'm not trying to be that i'm just a guy that loves music and loves people and loves owning a business and that's really what i'm trying to do and not to say we're not being innovative i think we are the way that we've created Multiple revenue streams, which allows the business quite a lot of stability, allows people to be able to come and work at a company that they know isn't going to just go away tomorrow. If one of our big artists quits or leaves us or something like that, we're quite robust in that sense. But yeah, I know I'm 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 studying all that stuff, and I'm I'm definitely fascinated by it. But I'm not a yeah, I'm not not going to be the guy that sort of defines all that stuff.
0: Yeah. Do you, with the like you know you talked a bit about your purpose being i guess an enabler of people experiencing happiness through i mean events or listening to music or buying merchandise or yeah. whatever it is and and how you know you enable the artists to bring that into people's lives is there something is there something else that i mean i'm just thinking about my experience with music i think and the the effect that it has on me and sometimes it's not just about happiness but it's about enabling me to experience and express a particular emotion Mm -hmm. and deal with it and giving me the non-verbal language to be with it and to really feel it. I think I'm asking about, you know, do you you consider that type of thing, you know, with the artists that you work for that, you know, happiness I guess is is quite a general term, but is there there some more specific things that you... You know, you see your artists bringing to the world meaning to the world, or that you look for. Yeah, in them as well. It's a good point
1: because you know we don't. Yeah, we don't tell the artists what kind of music to make or how to make it or something like that. And I guess happiness is probably the, a broader word, and it's probably more like a bit more like purpose because, like that idea of escapism and that idea of like you know, because you go see a metal band, like you're not, you don't have a smile on your face most of the show. You know what I mean? Like, but you're in it and you're you know, you're sort of getting into that state of flow, I guess, which just kind of like you don't have to worry about anything else that's going on outside, maybe how shit your job is or how you said a big fight with your girlfriend or whatever it is. You're just like, this is my my world right now. And being able to, what did we say, rest the prefrontal cortex to be able to sort of let the rest of the brain just live, like that's a powerful chance for people to... You know to to relax and just enjoy being for that moment,
0: yeah yeah,
1: so I, I think that i don't, we don't enable our artists to do this like they're they 're enabling themselves, we 're just supporting them, you know and and more than that, what really inspires me and something we probably haven 't talked enough about is the team here mm. and the people that you know I feel very responsible for, um, because you have people here that could potentially apply these skills. In many other areas, either across the industry or in other industries, but knowing that they're feeling fulfilled and feeling challenged and feeling like their career ambitions are being met, like that's something that's really important to me. Because that, you know, for me, I think a lot of my happiness—and some people might judge me for this—but a lot of my happiness probably comes from, or everything I'm talking about, because like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm part of it as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for. A career and for purpose and for happiness and a lot of it's coming from you know these four walls yeah and yeah people might judge me for that but it's you got to do something in life you know I'd love to go and meditate full-time that's not my life and my family are here and my you know I want to be able to live a, a, a I want to live in this world and I want to feel purpose with doing that
0: yeah yeah, I, I resonate with that, and something I've been thinking about recently also when I read a quote about, you know, if, if there's a laziness that I'm feeling or a resistance, not 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 necessarily consider that as a bad thing or something I need to suppress, but consider it as a a bit of a warning that my body is giving me that the thing I'm trying to do, I'm not trying to do it in the best way I can, or it's not quite the right thing for me, and. You know, I've I've had that in certain jobs over the past and it's helped direct me into some of the things I'm doing now. And I think to be able to find, you know, not have purpose compartmentalised is a real gift. Like, And by that I mean, you know, I find my purpose outside my night to find job on the weekend. But to be able to have that integrated into my whole life, I think, and that's, I don't, it's, I don't have that. I have that to, a I guess, a, a growing degree, but... I think, you know, what you're saying that, you know, you you largely find that in these four walls. And I I imagine it's, you know, not just these four walls, it's all the other things that you do and the integration of your life. But I think that's, I mean, that's something that I'm inspired to help others experience and to experience it more in my life too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, because
1: a a job that makes someone unhappy is going to make, well, it's going to make them unhappy. And that's not doing anything good for the world. Yeah. So... I just, we, I feel so blessed to do this, you know. And I do it with my wife my wife and I run the business together. Yeah. So it, it makes for a pretty full time life, you know. We'll be talking about the company from, you know, for a good eighteen hours a day, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But it also allows us to travel the world together and have these incredible experiences that, you know, I'd probably otherwise be having on my own. Yeah. Uh, and she would be as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: I have this theory that the, uh, the culture of a workplace is, is... There's a lot of correlations and similarities to the industry that they're actually in. And, for example, I, used, I worked within uh, Railcorp in New South Wales and it was very, very safety-focused and about rigour and that kind of translated to many parts of the business where it wasn't maybe not as appropriate. Like, for example, can't drink in any of their sites. You know, alcohol and trains don't mix very well, but that sort of translates through the whole organisation. Yeah, I'm curious about, you know, you talked a bit about the team here, but yeah. yeah, how what do you notice about the culture that you've created here and is there some of those aspects of the music industry that you know yeah. filter into an, an office environment as well? Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, culture for me is one of the things that I probably study more than anything because it's the one thing that probably scares me the most because I think it's easy to talk about how great your culture is. It's another thing to, to have a great culture. And what could do, like, nothing could be worse for a bad culture than someone talking about how good the culture is, you know? (laughs) So I'm like, I'm constantly like, how do we do this? But, yeah, passion is something that I think is very prevalent here in what we do because everyone's just so invested in the project or the projects that they're working on. And I think that's something that directly correlates to the music, you know? So, yeah, that's something that I think is really there. And, you know, a lot of people are very intense, you know, maybe you're getting a little bit of that from me, but I'm just very focused and and excited about what I'm doing you know there's we're relatively casual as how far as far as how we dress, but it's definitely not a motley crew documentary out there you know we're not <laughs> yeah. we're not partying, you know we might have a beer on Friday afternoon, you know after four or five o'clock, but yeah no it's not like that at all, but there's the passion out there for sure, yeah uh, which i I really like,
0: yeah, and obviously, I guess you attract people here that yeah I'm very passionate about the music industry, and probably just this would be a dream job for many people to work, yeah well, areas. it's a dream job for me, yeah,
1: like the thought of doing this when I was a kid would just be like, no way, like yeah. this isn't possible, so yeah i um yeah I can't speak for everyone, but I think that people are generally pretty happy to work here, mm. and we we do try to make it because culture I think if people can get confused by what culture is as far as like You know, the the fun stuff, it's part of the culture. But to me, it's also how can we, you know, it comes back to the careers. You know, how can we ensure that people feel like they're actually progressing in their lives while the business? Like, that's something that I think is, I want to be more part of our culture. Because, you know, and how we communicate to each other, you know, how we we access information, how we share information. Like, these are the things that I think really make a, a real culture yeah
0: because it's all you know we
1: all have heaps of fun we go to the festival in january and we all you know see all the bands and it's all all the great. and that contributes to the culture that's just a small part of it i think yeah but when i was younger i thought it was all about that it was all about let's get drunk let's make sure everyone gets to like do whatever they want whenever they want you know that's eventually people like "No, no no that is not what i want i'd rather actually go and do that with my family or my friends I'm going to be at work, I want to get purpose out of this. Mm. So that's a challenge that I'm setting for myself because it's something that I haven't nailed yet, but we're, we're, we're working on it.
0: I've yeah. got two questions for you as we wrap up. Yep. First one is about something you daydream about disrupting one day. Like you're obviously a very part of the music industry and maybe it's a, it's a part of the music industry you'd like to be a subtle disruptor in that you're not at the moment or is there something that you, know, you just sit back and think, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be... I'd be having a go at that and seeing what positive change I can make over there.
1: Right. Um, can it be business?
0: Yeah, for sure. I can anything.
1: Because yeah, I have my passion. My passions around, you know, yoga and stuff like that. But I don't know if I'd ever be fully fulfilled if I followed that as a full lifestyle. But I'm quite in. I'm, there's a real sort of happening within me at the moment in, a, in an investment sense we recently invested in a company in sydney called stl tones and basically it's a guy called sunny who started a business it's takes a while to explain it but basically it's dealing with digital guitar amplification and creating the technology for people to access sounds that they wouldn't be able to access without going and buying every single amp yeah and so we invested in that business, it's doing very well. He's currently in the process of moving to Nashville, where we're gonna really scale the business in the US. And going back to careers and you know, you know, happiness and all that sort of stuff, I've just got a huge amount of satisfaction out of him coming to me, going, I need your help, I need a little bit of money, I need a bit of this, and us going, you know, you know, tick, 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 and now, you know, he's in always in New Jersey today, working on a project. But That really excited me. So, And now, I guess, uh, I've I've got a few more opportunities that are sort of coming towards me that I'm finding really inspired by. So I guess that's something that I see down the road as part of what we do. And initially, it was sort of started something which we haven't talked about yet, which is the Unified Grant. Mm. So last September, we launched the first ever Unified Grant, $5,000 grants for young people wanting to get a start in the creative industries, so it's basically anyone that's not us or a musician. Because if, right. yeah, yeah. if they were us, we'd hire them. If they're a musician, yeah. we'd sign them. Yeah, It's photographers, videographers, oh, wow. you know, that yeah. sort of stuff. So we, we awarded those grants last November. Yeah. And it was, you know, a few of my sort of more business friends were just like, why are you giving them money? Why don't you, like, own part of their business? And I was just like, that's not the spirit of the grant. The grant is more about giving back to the industry, which supports us. But then shortly after that came this opportunity to get to make that investment in in someone and then have the more ongoing relationship. So I don't know what this looks like down the path. You know, we'll we'll need to raise money and we'll need to sort of create a vehicle that is able to invest. But I love the idea of being able to create like a some kind of fund to be able to make positive
0: investments in people's futures. So Yeah. Yeah. Is there a bit about maybe you know giving people i oh, like like you were saying with the artist i need that champion who's prepared to walk down the road naked like sometimes small business ideas need a similar thing yeah for yeah. sure
1: definitely i think there's that there's probably a bit of like finding myself like finding myself in other people yeah. and going like look i don't want to tell you what to do but there's a lot of stuff i can tell you that you shouldn't do that'll help you like like fast forward like about five years (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so there's probably a little bit of that too and it's just a bit of just challenging myself and challenging the team here to sort of grow beyond you know what we do every day
0: Uh, the last question is about you and Mm. tying things back to subtle disruption in your own life and is there a small change that you've made or a small thing that you do on an ongoing basis that had a you know a big impact or a big ripple effect that be interesting for other people to hear about as well.
1: Yeah, sure. What I've been trying this week, it's a, it's a simple one, and everyone knows that you should do it. But it's just the don't check your phone until you're ready to work. Tim Ferriss is the one that you know bangs on about it, and it's challenging, you know, especially when you're dealing with multiple time zones. Because even though you're not ready to work, like someone else in the rest of the, somewhere else, somewhere else in the world is like, get back to me right now, you know. But that's something a little. I want to implement into my daily routine. So I think it's going to allow me a lot more space in my mind and allow me to be a lot more present when I am, you know, working rather than that five minutes where I'm walking from home to yoga and I'm like frantically trying to respond to something and probably yeah. make mistakes and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's pretty small, probably not that inspiring, but I think it's something that
0: I think we can all learn from. You're right. I think that that small change can have a massive mind shift for the whole day.
1: Well, I think our brain, like, like this heater is going to run all day and eventually it's going to get tired, you know, whether it's today or in two years' time. But our brain's the same. You, know, you it's you keep turning those turbines eventually. It's just like, ah, oh, stop, you know. I don't drink coffee. I, meditation's my coffee. So you need to look after your, your brain or else it's, yeah, it's, it's going to fall asleep on you.
0: Yeah. So your meditation breaks instead of coffee breaks. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Jadon, awesome to have chatted with you today. Thanks, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for inviting us in here and good luck with the move and everything that's coming
1: up. Yeah, next time you'll be able to see our, our new boardroom. Yeah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jaden. The question that he left me with or that I was asking myself after the conversation was how much does the external noise or people's voices or the media, how much of that kind of stuff stops me from giving things a go that I really want to give a go to? I was really impressed how Jaden was willing to persist in the music industry at a time when it actually didn't seem like there was going to be a music industry. And um, to, I guess what, 15, 16 years later, to build what he has done is, um, I guess, a testament to that, to giving things a go despite the noise around him. Um... Yeah, if you want to get in contact with me, you can do so by sending me an email to adam at Disruptors.com. I'd love to hear any thoughts that you have about the podcast, particularly guests you think I might be interested in interviewing, wherever they are. I'm going to be in New York City soon, so if you know of anybody over there that would be good, that would be awesome. But, yeah, cities around Australia that I pop in from time to time, I can interview people. Uh, We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. And... That's about it for today. So yeah, my name's Adam Murray. I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected and resolute as a subtle disruptor. And um, bye for now. Thank you.